Welcome to Sunday Mornings from Heritage Baptist Church in Ashland, Ohio. Each week, we bring you expository and practical teaching straight from God's Word. And now, here's Pastor Ben. Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to join us in our new book of study. We began just last week looking at the book of Ephesians, and last week, of course, we covered verses 1 and 2. Today, we are going to look at verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. As you're turning there, let me ask a simple poll question, looking for a show of hands. How many of you, in your given field of expertise, either at home or in your careers, you've often come across a project and you have decided this project is going to take me three days to complete, but... I am going to allot four days in my schedule to do so. How many of you have ever done something like that? Okay. I imagine, Rob, you've probably done that before with you know, a, a remodel that maybe you anticipated it's going to get more complex than you originally thought, so you want to give yourself a little bit of extra time. So why, generally speaking, why when we grow in wisdom do we often give ourselves a little bit of breathing room for projects that need to be done and allot an extra day? Andy? Inevitably, something happens that you don't plan on. Right. Inevitably, something happens that you don't plan on. I'm going I'm to just run with that. So when I sat down earlier this week to look at Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, and read through it, I kind of went, oh, okay, there is so much here, and it's amazing, and it's wonderful, and I'm torn by two thoughts. I don't want to break up the unity of this passage, but I also don't want to preach to you for 90 minutes. Amen. All right, so, so what do I do with this? And Jared is scheduled for his regular, regular passage in James for next week. So I said, all right, I'm just going to prepare the sermon, and I'm going to look at it on paper, and, and I have a pretty good idea when I write what the writing on paper equates to in terms of time speaking. And when I got to the end, I just kept going back and forth, and finally I texted Jared. I said, hey, I need you to do something kind of strange for me. I need you to be prepared to be bumped to the following week if it takes us two weeks to get through this passage, because even more so than a normal message you would hear from me, there is going to be a lot of give and take, a lot of Q&A in the midst of the message. And this material is crucial to your understanding of how salvation works. So I want to allot for enough time for us to work through it appropriately. I am anticipating, I've got two little exit ramps built into the sermon, taking two weeks to get through this. If we get through it this week, great. I'm thinking we're probably going to be in this same passage again next week. Why? Well, this is why. Paul is answering unasked questions in this passage. It is very much a passage that begs the reader to read between the lines. As we get into this deep, deep theological study, I desperately want to be fair and even in my approach, but there are things that Paul says in this passage that leave little room for theological debate. In other words, either you believe what Paul is saying or you don't. 
And we must remember that Paul's original audience is the church. It is the church at Ephesus. It is the saved. It is not an evangelistic letter that he's writing. It's a discipleship letter that he's writing. He's not compelling these people and saying, you ought to believe in Christ. He is assuming that they have already accepted Jesus. And what he is doing in this letter to Ephesus is explaining more thoroughly why they need to deepen their understanding and appreciation of him. And he's doing that by explaining to them how they even came to know Jesus in the first place. So with all that having been said, let's read and ask the Lord to bless our time in Ephesians today. Starting in verse three, Paul says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless without him before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Let's pray. Dear Lord, there are few passages in scripture as theologically thick as the opening salutation that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. There have been books and volumes and volumes of literature and theological study and um, observation written about this passage. So Lord, I pray that what you would do is just bless us with an anointing of your spirit, that our hearts and minds would be open to the truth of this passage, that you would remove from me any agenda contrary to that which you would have me preach, and let us have a frank discussion about salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do is systematically and verse by verse work through this passage asking a few key strategic questions along the way to help unpack the thickness of what is being said. Here's the first question. Why should we offer praise to God? This is the unintended, this is the unasked question that Paul is answering. So read verse three again, and looking specifically to verse three, which says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. My question is, and I wanna take our answers from the audience, why should we offer praise to God? According to verse three, why should we offer praise to God? Andy, we'll start with you. Um, there's an awful lot of blessings in there. Awful lot of blessings. Yeah, it seems, if nothing else, on a rudimentary reading of verse three, he's done a lot for us. That, that much we can absolutely get on board with, right? What else? What else? Jared. Christ has done everything that he needed to do in order to make us right with God. Excellent. Christ has accomplished the work necessary to make us right with God. Now, heritage, we've heard from our deacon and we've heard from our associate pastor, okay? Now it's time for the rest of us to put on our big boy pants, okay, and chime in a little bit. Is there someone else that's not on staff or paid by the church already who wants to throw their hat in the ring here. Thank you, Brad. Oh, great, our sound guy. He's basically our unpaid intern. All right. Uh, we're in Christ. 
Oh, say it again. Because we're in Christ. Because we're in Christ. Great. So there's a causality here. Because we're in Christ. All right. So here's what I'm going to do and how we're going to work through this verse by verse. After we have a time of Q&A, I'm going to put on the board Pastor Ben's paraphrase. I want to be very clear that this is my paraphrase. It is not my literary translation, but it is how I would speak these truths if I was explaining them to a group of people or in an individual conversation. You have to read this, and according to scripture, you have to say, is this a reasonable way to reword or explain this? And if it's not, we need to talk about it. So here is my paraphrase of verse three. Paul is saying, let us give blessings to God because he has given access to every spiritual blessing because of the access to God that Christ gives us. Okay, let me say it a slightly different way. Christ exists. We have a relationship with him. We'll talk about how we have a relationship with him in the next couple verses. But because of that relationship through Christ, we now have the ability to rightly and not ignorantly praise God. You ever heard an athlete, a musician, a rapper, a rock star say all, all blessings to God? And you know the way they live their life or you know the message of their songs and they do not reflect a godly life. The first thing I think of is don't praise God. You don't know who he is. You have no idea what you're saying when you're saying it. It's completely ignorant for you to say all blessings to God. You're doing it because what you want is to look a certain way or have a gold chain or whatever, whatever your agenda is, that's what, you, that's what you're pushing. This isn't about God, it's about you. Does anybody have, take any issue with my paraphrase of this? You think that's a reasonable conclusion to reach from verse three? We, we're good with that? Good, because it's about to get a lot harder. That's the easy one. Let's move on a verse. So now let's look at verse four. And we're going to ask this question according to verse four. How did this blessing happen? This blessing through Christ that allows us to give praise to God, where did that come from? How did that relationship come to be? So let's look at verse four. Verse four says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So specific only to verse four, just looking at verse four, how is it that we currently find ourselves in a position where we have access to Jesus and thusly access to God? Matt, not paid, not an intern, Matt. Because we were predestined. Because, well, now he's jumping ahead. He's getting into the next verse. Okay, you're, you're correct, but let's just look at this verse. Okay, you're saying predestined based on he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Yeah, I okay. agree, I thought you were no, no, I didn't, I didn't, but, but Matt, you're, you're absolutely right. Look at this. He chose us, when did he do this? Before the foundation of the world. In the next verse, we're gonna see the word predestined. We're gonna see that word, we're gonna break that word down, we're gonna talk about that, what that word actually means. But here, even before we get to that word, we see Paul saying he chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world. It's a pretty compelling argument. So Matt's answer is because he chose us, we now have a relationship with him. Anybody else want to throw their hat in the ring? Anybody? Huh? Yep, Andy, gotcha, I gotcha. Whew. Don't ignore your deacon, that's the message of that snap. I just, wanted, I just wanted to say, not, we need to remember that 
Him choosing us always gives God the power. We cannot take the power away from God. Too many of us want to say that we chose God. Right. Right. That gives us the power to decide. Right. Right. When we have to have the power. Let me take what Andy said and just say it a little bit differently. When we say God is sovereign, S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N, sovereign, the key part of that word is the word reign. Okay, he reigns in total dominion, total dominion over his creation, and we are a part of his creation, amen? amen? Over the decisions that are made, over the rising and falling of empires. One of the, one of the most powerful quotes I've ever heard is what Napoleon said on his deathbed, and I'm, I'm gonna butcher it, but I'll do the best I can from memory. I marvel as where the ambitious pursuits of men like myself and of Alexander have fallen short, where one man, a Judean peasant, stretched his hand across eternities and guided the destinies of men and nations. I don't know where Napoleon stood with Jesus Christ, but that is an amazingly accurate theological quote. He's dying and saying, I was this champion that will be remembered forever, and what I have done pales in comparison with this peasant from Judea named Jesus Christ who has affected destinies and men and nations forever. It's a very, very appropriate way to understand things. Let me offer my paraphrase, and we'll see if this uh, sparks any debate. Jesus chose us before he even created the world we live in. In other words, we were on his radar long before he was on ours. He did this for a very specific reason. The point and purpose of us being saved is that we would become holy and blameless at judgment because of Jesus' love for us. Does that seem to be a reasonable conclusion from what Paul writes here in verse 4. Any questions of clarification before we move on to verse 5? Dan, also unpaid. <laughs> well, I'm going to be the one that can throw the, the stones out here. <laughs> I've already got three ready. <laughs> and it may be just a minute thing, but it says God chose us. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say Jesus okay. chose us. Okay. It says God chose us. Um, How's it go? To be united with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what? So is there a are, are we are, is that is that splitting hairs or is that an, an accurate theological um, uh, thing to to look at? To answer your question, I think you have some merit. If you look back at the beginning of verse three, who is the subject of this? Paul says, "Blessed be God the Father, because He's the subject of our Lord Jesus Christ." Who has blessed us? So we're still talking about God. God has blessed us with every blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he, who is the he in verse four, we're gonna say God the Father, chose us in him. Is that Jesus or is that God the Father? I would say it's Jesus, or it's God the Father through Jesus, okay? Before the foundation of the world, etc. that we should be holy and blameless. I would have no problem changing Jesus to God or God to Jesus in that. It depends on where you're drawing the derivation between the, the person head of the Trinity there. You, it might be more accurate, instead of me saying Jesus chose us, to say God chose us through Jesus. That might be a more accurate way to say it. I don't, I'm not gonna throw a stone at you for that. You're gonna have to do much worse than that. Um, but good, good observation. Mary, oh, this might be a stone. Before we were even 
form. Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot of people think God created us and oh now he's choosing us. Mm-hmm. Before the earth existed, before people existed, God already knew I'm creating this one to be mine. Very, very well said. So here's what I would like to do now, and I'm not offering this in an argumentative debate format. I am being very humble when I ask this question. Would anyone here like to make an argument that humans choose Jesus? This isn't a trap. I'm not attempting to destroy you. I honestly want someone to read verse 4 and make an argument that humans choose Jesus. I think there is a way to do it, but it's a it's a it's a slippery causality way to do it. Matt, thank you. Just to, I mean, kind of. Uh, I think that God chooses us, but we have to choose to follow, believe, and love. Like okay. He puts that into us, but we have that option and free will to okay. take what's inside of us and just say no. Can a creation reject its master's bidding? Can the pot, to use Paul's language, can the pot say to the potter, why have you made me this way? So if we take Matt's question or his hypothetical, I would make the counter argument that if God chooses you and you live for Jesus for a time, but then don't, that you weren't chosen. I would make that argument, and here's why. If God is sovereign over the choosing of his elect in the same way that he was sovereign over the choosing of Israel, then it's not dependent upon them. It's dependent upon his desire to sustain that relationship. How many, how many of you would say, by and large, when we look at Israel, God's chosen nation, they were really unfaithful, okay? The, the book of Judges comes to mind where the book of Ruth takes place in that time frame, right? In the time of the Judges is when the story of Ruth comes to be. Yet, does God ever say to Israel, you're no longer my nation, you're no longer my people, okay? How many of you would say this, thank God my relationship with God is not based on my ability to maintain that relationship, Right? I mean, right? Let me offer a very silly but, but very apt theological um, uh, illustration here. Let us say that in anger, I do throw my stone at Matt, and then I storm out of the church, and on the way out of the church, as I'm reaching for my car, I have a heart attack, and I die. And the last thing that I did, the last action that I undertook was a sinful action against, against Matt. If I believe salvation is in my hands, determined by my ability to repent, I'm in a very bad position arriving at judgment, correct? But if God's mission of Christ forgave my past sins, my current sins, my future sins, and the sins I am currently involved in that I am unaware of, of which we all have some, then I am in his hands, he is not in mine. So let's, let's ask this question then. Why do so many Christians, people who read scripture, people who go to good churches, why do they insist that salvation is our decision to choose Jesus? And let me offer a, a real quick thing that kind of builds on this question and what Matt just said. Matt brought up the terminology free will. Do we have free will? 
Um, we do and we don't. We have free will, but that free will is limited by our nature. For example, you know that I love basketball. You also know that in the right pair of shoes, I'm five foot nine. Okay? Barefoot, we won't talk about that. I can't decide by my free will to say, you know what? I love basketball and I'm sick of being five nine. I'm six ten. Why? Because of the laws of nature. I also can't go up to the, the roof of the AU library and do a swan dive off in the second before I make impact on the concrete below. Say, I do not answer to the laws of gravity and just hover there like a magician and then land, collect my money because I'm sure I'm being paid for this stunt and then make my way to my car. So when we say we have free will, that's true. We have the ability to make decisions, correct? I can choose to put this hand up or put this hand up. But as I've often used this example, if I sit here and it is God's sovereign will that I not move, can I move? So what do we do with verses uh, where God says, I do not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life? That seems to be God's will, right? God doesn't desire that anyone should go to hell, but people go to hell. Well, that's the difference between God's sovereign will and his will of pleasure. It's his will of decree versus his will of desire. His will of desire is not that anyone should go to hell. His will of desire is that we should not sin. But, church, do we sin? So if it's, only like two people said yes. All right, thank you. So if, if we say God is sovereign and he desires that I don't sin, but I do sin, doesn't that make us more powerful than God? Well, no, because that's, will, that's God's will of desire. If his sovereign decree has been you will not get up, then we're not getting up, okay? It is not God's sovereign will of decree that everyone go to heaven. It's his desire that everyone go to heaven. His sovereign will of decree is what will come to pass. So if we are bound by our nature in sin, Paul, Romans 3 all have sinned and fall short of glory to God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is not one who seeks him. Then how does anyone become saved? Well, that's exactly what Paul is answering in this question. So I'll get to that in a second. Mark? There's no way we're getting through this in a week. There's, I think something's important that, that's in here that we're overlooking. It, it says, for he chose us. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say, for he chose mankind. Correct. Oh, that's so Paul important. Is speaking, Paul is speaking to the believers. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. So it's Paul and us mm -hmm. as believers. Right. And we know this because if we look at last week's sermon, he says in his salutation, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So he says the saints, those of you who claim Jesus, but then he double qualifies it. Those who are faithful. Not those of you who are playing church. Not those of you who think it's cool to be part of this new club called The Way or Christians, but those of you who are actually faithfully practicing, those who are, there is evidence in your life that you are saved. That's who I'm writing this letter to. That's a huge, huge, important point to remember. So let me get to this question because this is really important for us to understand. Why then do Christians insist and I'm saying people who profess Jesus, people who read the Bible, and then say, our salvation is up to us. It's our decision to choose Jesus or not choose Jesus. And, and let me say this real quick, because I, I don't want us to get too far off track here. I do believe that we choose God. I only believe that, I should say, I believe we choose Jesus. 
but we only choose Jesus as a response to him calling us, to him electing us, to him predestining us unto salvation. Okay, so that, that's my stance. We'll flesh that out this week and next week. Jared. We want to be in control. Okay, that is absolutely, a, we, we want to be in control. That is, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put uh, three reasons up here. That's one of them. We want to be in control. Jamie, what might another reason be? Um, I think that we still struggle, at least here in the United States, I think we still struggle with, with um, the happiness of everyone. Mm -hmm. If we have the power to choose salvation, then we don't have to worry about the afterlife because everybody has the opportunity yep. and we don't know what happened on their deathbed. I would like to know whether or not what the answer to that question is for someone who lives in Ethiopia or a third world developing country that that, that is, it's either heaven or hell. Uh, I'm going to say that again. It's either heaven or hell. That, that when, um, so like here we're okay with saying we, we want everybody to be happy. Right. They, they're not like that. It's, it's either persecution or it's not. Okay. There is no, well, we all just get along. Okay. Very peaceful. That's not, that's oh, okay. not doesn't okay. happen in other countries. So I, I see what you're that saying. That's like an American thing. That's a, well, I'll tell you what. I, I think that Americans are uniquely tuned. And it's not just Americans, but America's at the top of this list. We're uniquely tuned to everybody else customizing things for our, we're such a service-based industry. We go to, I mean, what, what is, Jared, what's Burger King have it your way? Right, so, so we, we are used to being able to customize things down to, I wanna order this from Amazon in this color and I want it here by Tuesday and I'm gonna do that all from the comfort of my bed and phone. You used to, in my day, you had to go to the computer to buy something from Amazon. You kids, you got it super easy. Brian. To build off what Jamie said, uh -huh. the easiness and happiness, if we are insisting that it is our decision, we're making the we're making it scripture easy. We're not wrestling with the idea, is God in control? Is God really sovereign? Because if he is sovereign, why is he allowing? We're not dealing, we don't have to deal with those questions then. Yeah. Because it's easy, it was our choice. Okay. Let's take what Brian just said and reflect it against what Jared's been teaching in the book of James. Finish this sentence for me. If we choose our salvation, then salvation is a result of our works. Works, right? Can't happen, can't be scriptural. Uh, Dan. I think a couple of things. One, we have this, this concept of free will. Uh, because of free will, now we can choose to, to Jesus or not choose mm -hmm. Jesus. So I think free will is one of them. I think we also, misinterpret what God says in Scripture in that uh, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Mm -hmm. I think we interpret that as go and save people. And I don't right. Say, I don't believe that's oh, what huge. at all. Huge. And, and I think huge. we also look at, you know, I've heard all, a lot of people say that Paul was the greatest church planter in, in Scripture, in the history. And I'm saying he was never a church planter. Uh, Paul was a disciple maker. Uh, and I think there, there's a, a difference in we're told to go make disciples. Paul was going to make disciples, and we think that means, okay, how many salvations have you had? Mm -hmm. uh, or how many baptisms? How many baptisms? Right. Hey, Kim, how are you? Good to see you this morning. Uh, here's one. Oh, oh Brandon, I'm sorry. Uh, this, this is my second one, then I'll jump to Brandon. How about this one? I, mm -mm, no, I got this figured out. I, I know this. This is what my daddy believes. This is what my preacher believes. I got this figured out. How about just the concept of Jared 
first time we sat down, where were we? Where I drew the thing on the, Bob Evans, right? And he goes, this is, what, this is what Jared said to me. He's like, wait a minute, wait, 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 Ben, stop. Are, are you a Calvinist? And you would have thought he was saying, Ben, wait, stop, stop. Do you root for Michigan? <laughs> the answer to the first question is yes. The answer to the second question is no. Go Bucks. Uh, sometimes what we need to do is get outside of ourselves and say, okay, is there a reasonable explanation from Scripture that's clearly rooted in the words in Scripture that says, maybe I have this wrong? That's what I ask all of you to do every Sunday, is to lay aside your presuppositions and ask if I'm making a reasonable and biblically structured argument to make you rethink what you previously thought. Brandon. I think another reason why a lot of Christians insist this is because in our flawed human sense of morality, it would be unfair How many of you, whether you want to raise your hand a little bit or a lot, you're hearing this and either you've accepted it or you haven't accepted it, but this question is just, this isn't fair. How many of you on some level are wrestling with this? How many of you have talked to people about this and their response, whether they're Christian or not, is that's not fair. How many of you? Okay. I promise I double, triple, hot fudge Sunday promise you we're going to hit that question of fairness at 100 miles an hour without our seatbelts on next week. I promise you. There's a lot of word images I just put in your head. I'm not sure where that was all going. Jared said, number three, they're terrified that they're not in control. We want to be in control. We want to choose God. We want to choose our salvation. We want to control our own destinies. Jared. I'm sorry. I'm dominating everything. I just got to ask a question. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, we have Adam, who was created with the purpose of disobeying God. Isn't that basically, that was the plan? I wouldn't agree with that. Would you say that? No, no, I would not agree with that. I would say that Adam and Eve's wills were a little bit different than ours, and that they were not cursed, and therefore utterly free. The fact that they chose to disobey scarred the rest of humanity. Jesus comes as the second Adam to undo what Adam did. Now through Christ, we have the opportunity to be saved and reconciled with God. That's what I would say about the difference between Adam's will and our will. He was not scarred like we are scarred through him. Well, the reason I bring that up is that is an argument I hear a lot in opposition. It's that, okay, well, God creates certain people to do certain things that are going to promote his agenda. He does. That's true, but it's hard for us in our modern day to understand that, like, Judas, why was Judas created? Right. His job was to betray Christ. Okay, does everyone understand? Jared's question is crucially important. He's he's what Jared's asking in a polite way. Wait a minute. Before the foundations of the earth, then if he doesn't choose everyone, that means he created some people and their destiny was to go to hell. Okay? That's not fair, right? I promise you, Triple Chocolates Hot Fudge Sunday, we will tackle that question next week. There better be 100 people here next week, okay? I promise, I'm not, I'm not ducking that question at all, but I know we're Baptists and we're hungry, and it's going to take me at least 30 more minutes to get to that answer, and I do not want to be the person that keeps you from a casserole. All right. So, so... Any other reasons as to why Christians insist that we, that our, it's our decision to choose Jesus? Matthew. Just going along those same way, because they're scared. Because yeah. what, what if I'm not chosen? So if, if I'm not chosen, I don't want that. I want to be able to get to where I need to be 
because of something I do. Yeah. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a pin in it right there. I didn't get even as far as I thought I might. Age of eight or nine, I give my life to Jesus. I'm alternating Sundays between my, my dad's Roman Catholic church, my mom's Pentecostal church. Don't ask me how that worked. Um, every night I went to bed terrified, praying a prayer of repentance. Lord, I know I've sinned today some ways and that I've sinned. I know that I've sinned other ways I haven't. You know, if I die before I wake kind of prayer. When I actually came to foundational understanding of surrendering my life to Jesus about 10 years later when I was 19 and a freshman at AU, one of the first things that I stumbled across was a book called Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul, which many of you have read. And it's basically a book that explains what biblical soteriology, how salvation works, is actually outlined in scripture. For me, reading and understanding this book took a gigantic weight off of my shoulders because what I had to surrender to was the idea that if I'm God's, I'm God's. And if I'm not, I'm not. And whether I am or not will be determined by what my heart wants to do. Not by whether or not I remember to say this prayer before I go to sleep or the moment before I die. So for me, to talk about fear, as Matt brings up, I lived in a constant state of fear. Not a reverent fear for God, which is biblical, but a fear that I was coming up short on my to-do list in order to earn salvation, in order to get into heaven. And I will tell you, even as a nine-year-old, and, and then through my teenage years, that is a terrifying way to live. It is no way to build a relationship with God your Father. But rather, if we talk about the parental issue, if you have a mother or a father who loves you unconditionally and says, you can never do anything to not be my son, to not be my daughter. You may disobey me, and I will, I will correct you, but you are always mine. Which of those two children grows up with more confidence and understanding of what the concept of love is? Andy. I just want to say that as I've grown as a Christian matured over the years, there was a time when I might have really struggled with this. But as I've grown, I find myself more humble and joyful in this because number one, I'm humbled by the fact that I feel like I was I was chosen. Mm -hmm. Which why? I'm not perfect. You know, right. I'm right. I mean sinning idiot like everybody else. Right. Okay. Right. The other thing is I'm joyful I don't have to save people. I share the word. I live my life as a Christian. It's on God to save and accept who he chooses. Yeah, yeah we talked about the that burden, in Sunday school too. The burden of yep. all the people that I love thinking that I have to save them to me would be almost overwhelming. Yeah. If you really cared about those people and their salvation, which I do, but at least in my mind, I can think, you know what? I'm going to do what I can, what I've been called to do. And it's, up, it's between them and God. Mm -hmm. uh, Andy recently lost both a grandmother and a grandfather. And between the fall of uh, the spring of 2015 and the winter of 2016, in the span of about nine months, I lost my father and my mother. I know my father was not saved. I, I hope, I hope to God. My mom was. Um, I was able to read some things my mom had written shortly before she died that gave me some degree of hope. But I do not know in either case whether or not my parents were saved. That, that's the point of my story. So why am I okay with that? Why am I not just absolutely desolate and heartbroken? 
because I know whatever the outcome was, heaven or hell, it brought glory to God. That's, that's where my peace comes from. Now, I have teased and promised that I'm gonna answer these really difficult questions. I'm not gonna shy away from them at all. Uh, we're gonna hit these things head on. And the very question that Jared brought up, did God create some people to go to hell? Paul answers that question absolutely specifically in another book, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote that next week as we get into it. So yeah, it is, it is in Romans. Thanks, Brad. Um, Brad knows the passage. He's got it tattooed on his face. Um, so uh, this is a really mucky, murky, theologically thick message. It's the kind I love. It's the kind I love to teach. It's a time that, the kind that is probably making you guys somewhat uncomfortable, but this is why our church is what our church is because we don't avoid or gloss over these things. I tear into these things with a fervor because I truly believe, I truly believe if you understand how your salvation works, your understanding of who God is and your relationship with him will change drastically as it did for me between the age of nine when I thought I was saved and the age of 19 when I actually believe I had a moment of surrender. My foundational understanding of what and who God was and how he related to me changed so drastically that that's the God that I've served for the last 25 years. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Pastor Ben Roby and Heritage Baptist Church. We welcome your feedback or questions. You can find us online at hbc-ashland.com or connect with us on Facebook. Please feel free to share this message, but we do ask that you not edit the content in any way. Again, we're so glad you joined us today. Have a great week.